Lottery season is mercifully over as Pitt loses to Duke in the final game of the year, 30-19. to 19. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Football Unscripted here on the Pitt Talk Network. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and with me for this episode, we've got two guests. We've got the, the first couple of Pitt Twitter, if you will, Pitt fandom, Chris and Tracy. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for having us. We're guardedly excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. So I, we're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about the season really quick. I just want to get into being a pit fan is brutal on everyone's mental health, on their well-being. How is it on a marriage? Because it's kind of amazing that you two share this thing. But I also, I, I mean, ah, a lot of tough things you've gone through together. <laughs> It, it has strengthened our marriage. Uh, it is a bond that we share. It's actually a, a kinship that we have. So I, <laughs> we can commiserate together. I, it, when we first started going to games together, I had a lot of like bruises on my thighs from him like smashing down and like hitting me. And then I kind of learned to just defensively like elbow him whenever he was about to hit me when something bad was going to happen or I would just hit him first. So there's a little bit of, and now she just hits me back. So yeah, there's a little, <laughs> there's some physicality to it. Um, it's yeah, it's tough and it is, um, it has strengthened our relationship, I guess. <laughs> Lo love to hear it. Yeah. It's certainly, there is that benefit of having someone to, as you said, commiserate with, uh, and God knows people need to commiserate. So, this game, Pitt loses to Duke 30 to 19. No surprise. They finished the season three and nine. I want to start with the the most important position in sports, and that's quarterback. Nate Yarnell, in his second ever start, went out there, threw 25 for 35, 265 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the one bad interception, although it looked like the receiver, Kenny Johnson, kind of ran into the ref and that disrupted the route. So Initially, it looked awful. Like, why is he throwing it there? Then I think people kind of understood. So the interception isn't as bad as it once seemed. We've now seen two weeks of Nate Yarnell. What do you guys think? Because it, I think everyone knew Jerkovic wasn't the guy, but there was Veyer. We kind of thought maybe it's him. Maybe it's not. Now we've seen two weeks of Yarnell. It's not just a one-off. What do you think of him as a starter? I tweeted earlier that I thought I was, I had basically seen enough that Yarnell should be QB1 going into next season. But the the other side of that is when Vayer played, he also opened some things up in the passing game that just were not happening with Dracovic. No, nothing was happening with Dracovic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, um, but the thing where I'm at with the quarterback position with Pitt is, yeah, I probably think Yarnell should be QB1 going into next season, but it's hard to fairly judge uh, the quarterback position at all under this season under Signetti. And I take the, I take the same stance where at least until very recently, the, where Kenny's been playing, um, you know, uh, playing under Matt Canada until Canada was fired. Like, yes, Kenny hasn't been good, uh, but it's impossible to judge him because he's right. being almost set up to fail and he's not being taught to improve. Same deal with the quarterback position all season long. So you're, I really like what I saw with Yarnell today. And the stat line you gave me, I honestly didn't, I didn't do a lot of my homework. I didn't sitting realize, down here. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that his stats were that, that solid. So that's great. Um, yeah. and, and the pick wasn't his doing. So no. um, it should probably be an open competition going into next season, but I would be more than fine with Nate Yarnell um, as the slight favorite. Um, you know, I, I'm still unsure as to whether or not they should go in the transfer portal. I'm kind of done with transfer quarterbacks yeah. for mm -hmm. Pitt. Uh, we've kind of uh, we've kind of had it with with that for a little bit. I also I feel like Yarnell fits well with whatever offense we've been <laughs> screaming together, but he fits well on the team. His personality. I saw his um, post game interview, and he owned that interception when he really didn't have to. Mm -hmm. um, he he just he seems to step up when the team needs him to step up. And I really like that. That's what you need from a quarterback um, personality wise. And I, I, I know that's not as important, but it, it's, it's definitely um, left us high and dry in the past. So. And even when they fun. haven't asked him to do as much like the Western Michigan game last year. Yeah. Like, well, as Yarnell really is, cause that's all we had to do, but he, he played on the road and he, he performed admirably, but you know, with taking more of the offense under his shoulders, you know, he made a couple great throws to Bob. Um, you know, he made some good reads, made some good, really good throws downfield. 
Um, so yeah, I like, I really like what I saw from him. They are had his moments too earlier this year, like against Louisville. Um, but I think Yarnell has more of a grasp of the offense cause you know, he's been here for a little bit longer. So, um, I give him the edge going into 24, but again, it depends what we're going to see with hopefully a new system next year. I'm hoping a younger coordinator, kind of like a young up and comer that knows how to groom quarterbacks. That's my hope. I don't know what I don't think any of us knows which direction Narduzzi is going to go in. This is definitely one of the most interesting off seasons that Pitt football is going to have in some time, maybe since after Todd Graham left, uh, at least ten years. I think so. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And you guys said some some really interesting things that I agree with. Tracy, you talked about Nate Yarnell really fitting in and and being like a culture guy, and I totally agree with that. I mean you got to give him a ton of credit. He played admirably last year as the third string behind Keaton Slovis, behind Nick Patty. As you said, Chris, he did his job against Western Michigan. And then last year he's replaced Keaton Slovis transfers out. Nick Patty graduates, decides not to come back. And you could have imagined it. You're now thinking, okay, now's my time. I'm going to get to be the starter or at the very least the second string. And maybe they'll bring in someone for a season and then I'll be the guy. But no, they brought in two people above him. They brought in Phil Dracovic. They brought in Christian Veyer. In Veyer's case, to be a starter for years, which would have effectively not given Yarnell any kind of a shot. It would have been completely justified if he wanted to transfer and say, I don't want to be a third string for another year, only to then be a second string for the rest of my career. I want to go somewhere I can play. He stuck it out, and now he's in a position to be the starter. So I think, yeah, he deserves a massive amount of credit for just sticking it through that and saying, I know that they've guaranteed the spot to Jerkovic. I know that I'm probably not even the second string, but I'm going to stay here and try to prove myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm stunned. He stayed and I'm glad he stayed because. It yeah. <laughs> and he's got two years left too. And it, yeah. as does Vayar, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So they're both, they're both uh, second year players this year. So they both have two years left and, I'm in full agreement. We'll we'll talk about next year and and all the changes. And I, I'm I feel the same way about the quarterback. And you can't really evaluate him similarly to Kenny Pickett under Matt Canada. You just can't do so much. But the the transfer quarterback, at least transfer like seniors, grad transfers, or guys in their final year of eligibility. I'm done with that. It didn't work for Slovis. It didn't work. The only way that I think it could maybe work is a situation like Vayer where they go in and then they still have time to develop. I don't necessarily know that that's what you need to do this season, but I'm definitely off the bandwagon of getting one year guys like plug and play and hope that it works. Maybe if you get someone who can stick around for a couple of years, like Nick Peterman did, maybe something happens. But in terms of the plug-and-play guys, I'm totally out. So, but, but that's why Narduzzi has to move sooner rather than later with what he's going to do with the offensive coordinator position yeah. and the rest of the offensive staff, too. Because I, I, I think another thing I tweeted today is like I think there has to be a minimum of two changes in the offensive staff and within like the next week. Okay, Because I don't think you can sit around if you're Narduzzi and kind of twiddle your thumbs and figure out which you know we have to do a full evaluation or whatever. You know, it has to be done pretty quick because that's just how college football moves now. Yeah. Um, so you're to go out, find someone. And if you're looking in the like group of five ranks, it has to be if you're getting like a young up and comer, you have to get him out. You have to get him pretty quick. Otherwise, he's going to get snatched up by another power five team. You know, so then you have to get, get him, whoever that person ends up being. And what kind of quarterback, you know, what kind of quarterback play do they want and how are they going to groom either Bayer or or Yarnell, whoever it's going to be. Yeah, and I think there's a decent chance that next year goes into they go into camp with it being an open competition between Yarnell and Veyer. I know, Chris, you kind of said that you'd be fine with that. Tracy, do you feel the same way? Would you be comfortable if next year they've got Yarnell, they've got Veyer, and no one else who's really a threat to be the starting quarterback? Like, if it's just those two for a season that's going to be crucially important to bounce back, would you be comfortable with those two? 100 percent i okay. i think that they are both um capable of being coached to a point i mean we've seen them even the season grow mm-hmm. uh, and i think that by next season after camp and going into um the home opener i i think that that would be a healthy place to be for our program is to have a couple of quarterbacks that are hopefully growing and 
and learning under hopefully somebody new. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I don't think I I'm also done with transfer quarterbacks. I think that <laughs> I think we've tried that. It doesn't work. We've tried it multiple times. Um, and the two guys we have are, are so, um, into the team and into, um, they're, they're, they just seem loyal and they seem, um, to fit culture wise. So Four quarterbacks on the roster next year. That's minimum. I, if you if yeah. you can't find if you can't find your quarterback of the future, at least the next two seasons out of these four guys, I, I've seen enough at least from Yarnell and Bear. Uh, there have been snippets this year where things opened up in the passing game after Jerkovic, uh was benched. So yeah. Um, yeah, with the right fit, the right scheme, there's enough there that um, you know you should be able to win games find, with, find with one somebody, of these guys. Somebody that'll work. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, because really when you look at the games that they played, they they won two combined between Louisville and then Boston College, each won their, their first game. And then there were a couple games that they probably should have won or could have won, and you wonder if obviously the offensive coordinator and the entire offense goes into it, but there's the Wake Forest game, the Syracuse game, maybe even the Duke game, and then two games that they were never going to win no matter what in Notre Dame and Florida State. So yes, the record is bad, but ultimately I think if you, I think for either of them, I I'm a bit right now I'm favoring Yarnell a bit, but I think either of them, if you started them week one, this team might be bowl eligible right now. I mean, that's kind of, Oh, that question. Yeah. That, that, and that's almost a, a fireable offense for Frank Signetti who made the choice to bring in his guy from Boston college and Phil Jerkovic. And ride with him through the Cincinnati loss, through the West Virginia loss, through the North Carolina loss. And then of course, through the Virginia tech loss before making a change, they finish with three wins, Cincinnati, West Virginia, Virginia tech. I think you win at least two of them. And then one of the games that they lost down the stretch, like wake forest or Syracuse or even Duke, if you've got a more experienced quarterback, who's not on a second game, I think you probably win at least one of those two to me. Yes. The team was down this year, but with, one of those two quarterbacks, again, right now I'm leaning Yarnell, but either of the two, if they were coached up from the beginning, I think there was actually a chance to to get to a bowl game. And the fact that they didn't is a pretty damning indictment. And you didn't even need great quarterback play. Yeah. You, know, you didn't need to be Kenny of 2021, you know, to get to, you know, even seven, maybe even eight wins this year. You said, I, I think there were probably five games this year where not great, but average quarterback play. Uh, makes the difference for sure. Yep. Cincinnati, yeah, for sure. WVU, yep. and Virginia Tech, and there's and and Wake. So yep. there's four games right there, and that pushes. And I think, and I think Syracuse, and Syracuse too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, sure. I tried to, I tried to block that. From, yeah, all the turnovers. Yeah, right. So I forgot. And plus, it was in Yankee Stadium, and yeah, that game shouldn't have been counted. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, we have guys that can move the ball down the field, and there's, yeah, there's no reason that we can't. And what was being seven or eight win team next year? Yeah. And Yarnell's stat lines from the, you know, since he came in, if you like extrapolate it to like a 12 game season, it's something like 66 per completion percentage and like 2,800 yards and like 18 touchdowns and like 12 interceptions. You take that any day of the week, you know, if yep. you're, if you're Pat Narduzzi, yeah. if you still want to run a system that's going to run the ball. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's the difference between three wins and seven and maybe eight with you just get average, you know, power five, you know, ACC quarterback play. Yeah. And I think next year, at least one of those two guys can provide that. Not saying that either one's going to be incredible, but if either one is average, I think this team can bounce back. Another problem, and then we're going to talk all about coaching in just a second, was, and really all of this does relate to coaching because they're the ones that decide to put these, these people out there, uh, punting. The punting today, again, was an absolute mess. There was that one where Caleb Junko, the punter, had a 15-yard punt, and it's not the first time this season that we've seen atrocious punting. And they basically gave Duke seven points just from that punt because he kept it in Pitt's territory, and then Duke scores a touchdown right before the half. They just gave Duke seven points. I don't know how they can justify back-to-back -back years of allowing the punting game to be this atrocious. I can't remember the last time I had such – well, never. I've never had punting anxiety. 
<laughs> this year it became a thing. That's a new phrase that Trey yeah. suggested for haunting yeah. anxiety, but it fits for, for this season mm. and last year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I It's been a while since I've thrown a football, uh, but if you gave me a football right now and I were to go outside at this very moment and kicked it, uh, I'd be fairly confident it would travel more than 15 yards. I know. Yeah. But the circumstances are different. But, yeah, you, special teams, you can't uh, continue to have them be such a liability like this. I don't know what it is about Pittsburgh sports that we just can't figure out the punting system, whether it's us or the Steelers uh, with Harvin. But, um, it, yeah, it's uh, – and I think you you mentioned you were going to go back to coaching. Um, where's Andre Powell in all this? Yeah. You know, not to single out, like, one coach or anything, but um, at some point it's got to get rectified. Yeah, it's just I can't believe it's been two years now and they still can't find a decent punter. I know that they're going with a walk on Junko's a walk on. But like at a certain point, just burn a scholarship, find a good punter. Like, I mean, you got to get someone to come in there because it, it, it seems like they're not valuing it. But then you have these plays where that one single punt gifted your opponent seven yards that could have been the difference down the stretch between a win and a loss. They had decent punters in the past. They don't have to be amazing, but like Kirk Christodoulou is just a solid punter. Just find someone like that, give him a scholarship and, and let him go to work. I, I just, I can't fathom how they find this acceptable in the year of our Lord, 2023 to have back-to-back <laughs> -back years of, of horrendous punting. I miss Where's Andy Lee when you need him, right? Yeah. Right. Like bring back in. Where's he with eligibility? Did he leave early? Oh. Um, uh, one more thing with today and then, and then we'll talk overall the defense all season long. It's been shaky. And the, the question has kind of been, is this okay? Yeah, they're, they're shaky, but they're growing or is this really a problem? And I think the concern is down the stretch. I'm not sure that they improved. In fact, you could even make a case that they regressed down the stretch that, against backup quarterbacks from the second game of the season until the last game of the season, they were playing backup quarterbacks and they got embarrassed in, in all occasions. And when they needed a big third down stop, it didn't happen. It's kind of the opposite of pit defenses of the past where, yeah, they'd bend, but they wouldn't break this year. It was like, no, they would kind of break when you needed it the most. What do you think about this defense? Like what's your confidence level with them? Corey, I could not tell you, uh, the name of the quarterbacks that we played against today <laughs> against Virginia Tech or Syracuse. And I'm not joking. <laughs> I forget who they were. I know the guy against Syracuse was a, a tight end or something who was converted, uh, converted his position. I, I can't even remember. But um, the, the crazy thing is that the, the defense, for all its flaws this year, was has been good enough to win most of these yeah. games that have, that have been costed by bad quarterback play or whatever. Uh, the biggest disappointment my, in my estimation is the run defense. Um, you know, if you're going to run under Narduzzi's system and you're going to pride yourself off of stopping the run, which is what he's been preaching since day one, yeah, you're going to get beat down the field, which is <laughs> the defense has been beat a lot over the years because you're leaving your corners out on those islands, but you could always count on them to stop the run. And it's you saw shades of that kind of cracking a little bit in the WVU game last year, where CJ Donaldson ran for you know a thousand yards in the first half or whatever. But then they kind of cleaned things up a little bit, like against Tennessee, and then throughout the rest of the year. But this year it just it just didn't happen. So the run defense was really, you know, really bothersome to me. So um, I, I I think it's just what you get with losing so many guys up front. I, I think we yeah. underestimated. Lo what losing Kalaji Kansi was going to do, and you know, right, especially right at the middle, Servasier not being there just yeah just killed us this year, just yeah. killed us. And yet, there were several games where that defense just kind of carried us as far as they yeah. could, and that, and, and they were tired. I mean, these guys got beat up because they were on the field so much because our offense was so bad. Yeah. So I think that's part of it too, um, and hopefully next year, next season, when the offense sees a little more <laughs> time on the field, maybe the defense won't be as, Hopefully. yeah, as yeah. beat up at the end of the season. Yeah, and it is kind of wild because that totally was the case for a lot of these games individually where the defense would play well for a while and down the stretch they were just exhausted because they couldn't get off the field and they would break. And then it also seems like that kind of happened 
over the entire course of this season that they started out really strong. They looked great. And then down the stretch, you get to the last couple games of the year and they start to just run out of gas completely because they've been on the field for so much of the season. It's been wild. By the way, you forgot um, two of the backup quarterbacks that Pitt lost to both with incredible Italian names, uh, Wake Forest and West Virginia. Any, any remembering? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got, it was uh there's like a fun well i wouldn't say fun this is a weird pub trivia category west virginia's quarterback backup was nico marchial and wake forest had santino marucci santino marucci oh, that's right the santino marucci I mean, how can i forget my last name's travaglio with a silent g in there so those are my people <laughs> yeah exactly it's no you well you'll uh look we had ben denucci and then he went on to the nfl so who got the last laugh there just wait till Marucci is uh, balling out for the Cowboys. Um, okay, so let's talk about the season as a whole because this is – we've kind of known this for a while, but this is officially now the worst season for pit football since 1998, the worst season of the century, two years after winning, a, winning an ACC championship. They fell off so hard. We got to start with the offense. The offense – failed to score 30 points in 10 of the 12 games this year. And one of those was against FCS team in Wofford. So really in 10 of the 11 games this year, they failed to score 30 points. And in six of the games, they didn't even score 20 points. Um, Completely inexcusable. Frank Signetti, what are we thinking over under until they make the announcement? There's a new OC because we know it has to happen. There's no way they run it back with him. How, how long are we thinking Monday? If it doesn't happen Monday, I'm going to be upset, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's why I said it, it, it probably won't, but if it doesn't, I'll. Right. It should happen within a week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's when it should happen. When it will happen is anybody else's guess. I, I can't recall the timeline between, um, for instance, after Sean Watson was fired and Mark Whipple was hired, but it went, it went on seemingly it forever. Yeah. I mean, it went on and on and on. And then I, I don't think Whipple was – they didn't announce the Whipple hiring until I want to say middle of January. It took um, forever, maybe, I remember, yeah. Right. And, and as I said, you can't, especially with how college football is now, you can't do that. And if you've got two quarterbacks that you're fairly confident that can win you some games next year, you know, you got to sort out your staff, you know, <laughs> certainly before the new year so they can work with them. And you know, so these, so you're, uh, you're now in uh, there, know what to expect. Um, so the over under, I, I hope it's on inside of a week, you know, I say six and a half days, but what will not, that's what should happen. What will happen with Narduzzi is anybody's guess. By the way, you've, you've got a, a pretty great memory because they hired Mark Whipple on January 14th of 2021. So yeah, it, uh, it definitely came late. now to be fair, they didn't fire Sean Watson until January 4th. So that's really where the problem was. It wasn't that. It, it took 10 days to find someone new. It's that it took them until January to fire the last guy. Whereas, it, yeah, in this case, I mean, what is it in the NFL? Like Black Monday, isn't that what it's called? Like the day right. after the regular season, all the coaches get fired because they know the second the season's done, you got to get going. And to me, yeah, if it's not done, like you said, Trace, if it's not done Monday, if it's not even done Sunday, I mean, what are you waiting on? What do you have to see? Narduzzi always says we got to go back and look at the tape. How long is that going to take? Because everyone has seen it. You just got to look at the record. You got to look at the points scored. There's no doubt about it. I can actually grant you some time to find someone new. But in terms of like pulling the trigger, making the decision, this should not even take 48 hours. It shouldn't happen with the OC. It shouldn't happen with the OC anyway. Like if you if you want to give Narduzzi a little bit of leeway, it's with maybe some of the other assistant coaches yeah. who've been around longer than Frank Signetti. You know, somebody like Powell, who I don't think should stick around, but he's been around. I, I think he's been there since Narduzzi's been there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but definitely Dave Borbley. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, with with uh, with Signetti, it's a no brainer. It's got to be a 24 to 48 hour thing. <clears throat> yeah, Andre Powell. Yeah, looks like he's been there just as long. Yeah, so it, it is difficult to talk about this, but let's. We, we got to talk about it. These guys, they, they make a lot of money. No one's like 
taking joy in these people getting fired, but that's the business. And they would acknowledge that that's just what it is. And people have to be fired when the team doesn't meet expectations. And they certainly didn't this year. So Frank Signetti has got to go. Uh, Andre Powell, you said, Chris, the running backs coach and special teams coach probably shouldn't be back. Um, Dave Borbley, the offensive line coach probably shouldn't be back. Uh, anyone else? I mean, you've got Tim Salem at tight ends. He's, he's been at Pitt since, since Narduzzi arrived. Ryan Manilak is the linebackers coach. They didn't look good this year. I mean, no. you could almost phrase it like who should be back. If we want to put more of like a positive spin on it, who has actually earned to keep their job for 2024? Obviously Partridge. Yeah. Um, he's always at the top of the list because the pedigrees are notwithstanding this season. Like there there's. <laughs> You give a guy like him the benefit of the doubt to turn things around. But uh, the names you mentioned were the names that we're going to go to who shouldn't be back. Um, and like Underwood, I think we should keep giving oh, him. A, right. So that's good, too. Uh, he's, he's solid. Yeah. yeah. Type one, um, yeah. you know, you give him the benefit of the doubt just because he hasn't been here very long. Right. Um, and he's good on the recruiting trail. He's He had some misses, I think, with the transfer portal. But, I mean, you're going to have those, yeah. especially when you're competing against the likes of Penn state and, and Ohio state. And yeah. so that'll happen. But, um, you know, obviously Signetti, but Borbley, I think his, I think is more let in Powell. I think, I think are two names that have, they've kind of worn out their welcome, uh, a little bit and Manilak, you know, younger guy, but at some point, you know, the linebackers have to be a strength, of an otherwise good defensive system under Narduzzi, as opposed to constantly being talked about as the weak link. And yeah. So um, just enough already with the, the, you know, middling linebacker play. I mean, they have to be a strength of, of the defense too. Yeah. I, I think that would probably be fine. By the way, you mentioned wide receiver recruiting with Tyquan Underwood and I'm imagining now in like an alternate universe where he somehow manages to land Marvin Harrison Jr. Like keep him in state, goes to pit, and then he shows up and he's got uh he's got Phil Jerkovic throwing to him. Could not um. <laughs> that, that's a very different universe. So yeah, so okay. So let's say Signetti goes and Borbley goes offensive line and Powell goes at running backs and and special teams. And Manilak goes at linebacker. And, and so they've now made changes at the weaker positions, but they bring the other people back. Um, what do they need to do to find these to find these new coaches? Because you mentioned briefly about offensive coordinator, who they're going to look at. Um, there's one name that I think a lot of people have brought up and sort of keep coming back to, and that's Mike Shanahan, the offensive coordinator of James Madison. They just finished 11 and one. He's a pit grad. He was a, a great receiver when I was a student and now he's an OC, which makes me feel old. Um, he's done, he's done a great job at JMU. He kind of fits that. Now you could go in a different direction and try to land someone who's older and has experience. Um, and and try to go that way but what do you think of trying to get someone like mike shanahan uh all for it but that um kind of adds into what i was saying before you, if you're going to land somebody like him this hot young up-and-comer you have to do it quick because mm -hmm. uh, he's not obviously if Pitt is going to to be uh looking at somebody like him uh other programs are going to be looking at him as well i i wasn't sure if you were going to go in the uh <laughs> the Brennan Marion direction. Oh, well, okay. Uh, yeah. I think, that, I think that ship sailed. Yeah. <laughs> um, not coming back. Right. So, um, and I, I assumed you were going, going to Shanahan. I was like, Oh, there's like a 2% chance he's going to say Brennan Marion. <laughs> that's just, that's just, that was just floating on the Twitter, Twitter sphere for a little while. Uh, but yeah, that, that wasn't going to happen. So Narduzzi, Narduzzi caught heat a little while ago because he said something like he's very hands off with the offense, you know, he spends like 80% of his time or yeah, something, something like that. You know, it, you know, he's a CEO, but he'll delegate, you know, the offense, which is fine. But at the end of the day, if you're going to just be very hands-off with the offense, the thing with Narduzzi, if he went out and got this young up-and-comer who runs a completely different system or, or is more leaning towards like throwing the football, Narduzzi could be a regular 10-win coach. I really believe that. I think Narduzzi should – you know, get an opportunity to right the ship, but I think he should get one chance. You know, I think his defense for all the flaws this year 
and over the years since he got here, his defense is is always good enough to win games. You know, it's it, you know Pitt is almost always in games because of the way that you know. So if he wants to focus on the defense, great. Uh, he's a very stable coach. The players more or less like playing for him. But if he's going to be hands off with the offense, he needs to change his mindset. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an expert as to what kind of offense JMU ran. Um, but it seemed like it turned some heads. And if Shanahan is somebody who can get people excited again, uh, if he's going to focus on good quarterback play, and he knows how to develop quarterbacks. I think that's a route you got to go. <clears throat> I think Shanahan is like the the sexy hire for Pitt, and I feel like those have sort of worked for us. Yeah, to a degree. So when I mean, we do them, when we do when them, we do them. <laughs> and when we do them well, and when we do them right, and when we don't send them packing. Um, <laughs> so I think that I, I like I like that. I love Mike Shanahan as as ROC and I'm kind of hopeful but I'm I'm not hopeful that it will actually happen but I'm I would be hopeful if we were to make it happen um yeah it's it's interesting so yeah I mean they've they've put up 422 points on the season that's just barely second most they're they're seven points behind most in the Sunbelt conference a good you know offensive football conference only seven points behind App State and this is their second year playing at this level of of college football so yeah I'm leaning right now towards Shanahan I think another name that I thought of was Joe Moorhead um uh being the former offensive coordinator at Penn State and then Oregon and uh, he's currently the head coach at Akron, and he hasn't done a good job there. I wouldn't necessarily want him as the head coach, but as an offensive coordinator, if he wants an escape hatch out of Akron, that could be an option. Outside of that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't pretend to be an expert on offensive coordinator hires, but there certainly seems to be some solid names out there that if you, you decide to take this seriously and you put the money behind it and you go like, yeah, you can go out there and get someone like Mike Shanahan and actually turn this, this around. I'm willing to bet um, if Narduzzi is finally going to break his old habits and not go with, you know, not to be ageist here, but like a 67 year old retread. Yeah. Um, if he's going to go, I'm willing to bet he wouldn't go for somebody like a Shannon. It'll be a name we haven't heard yet. Um, that would be my, my guess. Um, so yeah, it'll be someone in the, I guess, group of, group of five ranks, uh, that he's going to pull out of nowhere. Uh, the question is, can they develop quarterbacks? Uh, can they work well with the quarterbacks? And we're going to throw the damn ball. We don't have to throw like we, like we did in 2021. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to score and you have to score quick and score frequently. That's just, that's just the college game. So, yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's it's really wild when you think to Frank Signetti in terms of development and evaluation. And to me, those are the like two of the most important parts of being an offensive coordinator, a good offensive coordinator. And his development, he, he didn't develop anyone. In fact, people seem to get worse over time under him. And in terms of evaluation, he brought in uh, Phil Dracovic. That was a huge swing and a miss. He was done. He not only did he bring him in, but he he brought him in as the number one guy and left him out there for weeks. Yeah. And then someone like Nate Yarnell, who appears to be legitimately a good quarterback, he had his third, third on the depth chart. Like, how do you look at those three quarterbacks and say Nate Yarnell is going to be my third string quarterback? It's just wild that based on development and and evaluation that he could miss so horribly in both ways. We wanted Jerkovic to work here so badly yeah. too. And it's like on paper, it seemed like such a perfect fit, obviously because they work together. But if Jerkovic ends up in an alternate universe, if Jerkovic comes here and has a great season, Pitt wins nine, 10 games, it's one of the best stories in college football. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't materialize that way. But it, at the time it made all the sense in the world um, because when Jerkovic did, perform well at bc it was under signetti um yeah. and when he was healthy obviously um and i just it, it was remarkable to me to watch you know it was like uh when when steve blast just all of a sudden forgot how to pitch in the mid-1970s remember he just he, 
you got the yips is, is what many of us call. Yep. Um, and when you're throwing a ball into the turf on a running back screen, um, that's not struggling to learn, relearn the system. That's almost forgetting how to play the position. There was something mentally going on with Dracovic that was really unfortunate. But yeah, but at the end of the day, Signetti and ultimately Narduzzi, and since Narduzzi is at the top of the food chain here, um, it was on him to make the call, uh, to pull the trigger sooner than it ultimately was pulled. You can't go, you can't put up with that kind of quarterback play into the first week of October. Um, you know, it should have been done. Uh, certainly, I, I understand maybe if you didn't want to do it in Morgantown, but that was probably the time to do it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Narduzzi. He's going to be back next year, and okay, that that's fine. I think he's earned that right. He won the ACC a couple of years ago, and sometimes really good coaches have bad years. I, I'm in agreement that he's got one offensive coordinator hire left. Like, if, if the next offensive coordinator hire does not work out, if the offense stays bad, I don't, and, and the team is bad, because I suppose there's a chance that, like, okay, the offense stinks, but the defense is so good that they go out and win eight, nine games anyway. But assuming it, the offense, the team goes, so goes the offense, uh, and his next hire is bad, I think that's his last one. So this one, there's so much riding on it. Not clear if he knows that or not, but it's it's obviously really important. Where are you two in terms of your faith level in Narduzzi to make a good hire now that maybe there's some sort of sense of urgency now that maybe he's hit rock bottom because you could even argue like after something like Sean Watson, like they still were what seven and five that year or no, was that five and seven? I think it was five and seven. Maybe I, I forget, but either way, like it wasn't rock bottom. It wasn't this bad when he, he made the change. And then even after Mark Whipple firing slash letting him go, that's sort of, Hey, look, we're on this high and I can do what I want and I can make any decision. I'm wondering if, if his mindset is different now that he knows that his back's up against the wall. He knows he's got to get this decision uh, to got to make the right decision. Where's your confidence level and his ability to find and pick a good offensive coordinator and for him to be the coach for years to come? Or do you think he's going to pick a 65, 70 year old retread and in like two years he'll be gone? I, I am always so, I am, I run very hot and very cold on Pat Narduzzi. I, sometimes I think he does a phenomenal job with certain things. And then other times I, I'm on the fire Narduzzi train for <laughs> weeks. Um, not, not right now. I think he, he, I think you're right. He has one more shot. Um, and he just constantly reminds me of the, the America's next top model, the Tyra Banks, like we were rooting for you. We were yeah. all rooting for you. Like he, <laughs> he has everything in front of him to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just wonder where in the world like you said, he might not even be aware that he has one more shot. Like I'm, I'm not sure that he's he is. I don't. I, I just don't. I never quite understand exactly where his head is. And so, as much as I really want to have faith in him, I don't know that I do. I, yeah, I'm just not. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that he's going to make the right decision this time around because his decision making in the past has been so not great <laughs> this is where this is where the comments from heather like were a little bit interesting a few weeks ago didn't she um i want to say she gave an interview in the post gazette or something at an event or or whatever it was and i forget who conducted the interview that said that she was going her and narduzzi were going to have a conversation in the off season as to the direction things needed to take to kind of right the ship now what that means and obviously that's a very loose paraphrase on my part, but um, I don't know at the end of the day, you're the athletic director, but you know, I know she didn't hire Narduzzi, but she did extend his contract. And at the end of the day, you have to let coaches coach and hire their staff. Uh, but at some point, Heather like is obviously a go-getter and she, you know, is not afraid to kind of take control of things and um, you know, put her foot down where she feels necessary. So, what, how hands-on is she going to be in the hiring process with some of these assistants? Is she going to make it clear enough to Narduzzi that, look, 
Um, I think we need to, you know, take go on a different route here. Um, I mean, Arduzzi has shown that whether or not the replacement is the right guy, he has shown that he's willing to go in a different direction. Um, you know, with you know, you mentioned Sean Watson. You know, you're coming off you know two thousand yard backs in 2018, but the passing game was horrific. So what does he do? He goes out and gets Mark Whipple, who's you know just is going to throw a lot more. Um, after Mark Whipple. He goes out and gets Signetti, which Signetti, at least in theory, wanted to get get the ball to his uh, his playmakers. But there's going to be more an emphasis on running the football. So he has shown that not necessarily the guy he rep- the replacement themselves is the right guy, but he has shown a willingness to do something different. Um, you know, when something ain't working. So um, that's that's a long uh, bloated way of me saying I have no earthly idea what he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's good. That's what podcasting is all about. Um, so yeah, I mean, gaining confidence in what you're talking about while not really knowing what you're talking about. That's the name of the game with podcasting. That's that's podcasting. It's also kind of coaching when you think about it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's unclear if he knows, as you were saying, like Tracy, if, if he knows that his back's up against the wall. But you have to think. He can just look at the record. He could just look at the points. Like he's not blind. He knows this offense was terrible. He knows that he ha- that something has to change. That maybe his ideal offense isn't going to work, and maybe he'll make a change to a slightly more balanced, more progressive, more new age offense. We'll see. So a lot's going to change this year, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen. And so there are so many uh, question marks in terms of who's going to be the offensive coordinator, who's going to be the quarterback, who's going to be you know, all these different position coaches and all this stuff. What, what do we think roughly is going to happen next year? Like, do you think this is closer to the best case scenario in that this was a one-off and next year they get back to like seven or eight wins and the quarterback looks promising. And then they're going into the 2025 where things look like they can get the 10 wins, 11 wins, something like that. Or, is this the worst case scenario? And Narduzzi has plateaued. He's he's already peaked, and his offensive coordinator is some seventy-year-old retread. And the offense doesn't get any better. And there's a mass exodus of players. And and next year, everyone's talking about how awful his buyout is, and it's prohibitive, and and that's the end. Like, what way are you leaning toward in terms of what we're going to see next year? No one was, no one's ever going to, what makes this season so disappointing and disconcerting is no one was ever going to convince me that this was a three win team, that this is a complete, because that you're in complete teardown rebuild territory. Yeah. You know, I think I, I, I tweeted earlier today that, you know, three and nine, that's the stuff of, like you said, it was since 1998, but that that's the, these are the kind of seasons that they consistently had under, you know, Hackett and, you know, majors too, like the real dark years of, of the mid 1990s. Um, but no one's going to convince me that this team was completely bereft of talent. I mean, the, the majority of players were on the, obviously the nine win team from a year ago and a heck of a lot of them played in the ACC championship game in the ACC championship team two years ago. So um, a program like Pitt, um, you know, the, the quote unquote darkest years of my Pitt fandom were the, Todd Graham, Paul Chris days where they were going, essentially they were in a perpetual spitting your tires in the mud, six and six. That was my, my entire four years of college, six and six every year. Oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> I at least got the, um, you know, the O two O three like Virginia tech wins yeah. and like, you know, the Fiesta Bowl birth in 04, which didn't end too well, but I, I was there for, for fits. Which yeah, cool. so you had to, I mean, to be like, I was there for Aaron Donald and James Conner. Like, I was there for a lot of good players. They just were still six and six. Yeah. Yeah. Only Paul Christ could have Tyler Boyd, Aaron Donald, and James Conner on the same team and go six and six. Yep. Only Paul, Paul Christ. Uh, and, and back to your question, like, that's kind of what makes Pitt such a, a an exciting team, but also a team that makes you want to pull your hair out because they're always teetering on the edge. And you never know what direction they're going to go because we do have talent. I mean, we, I, we, I feel like every season we can look back and say, and in recent um, memory, like we should have won more games because of the talent on that team. 
Um, and like this year, it just slid down completely in the opposite direction. And I'm, like I said at the beginning, I'm guardedly optimistic if Narduzzi makes the right calls um, over hopefully the next couple of <laughs> weeks slash month um, that, that we can have, um, God, I hope a winning season again, but maybe even – an well, eight win, nine win team. Well, you're right. And that, that's what I was going to say. The reason you give somebody, you, the reason you give Narduzzi the benefit of the doubt is he he has brought the pro up until this year. He has brought the program to a point where the baseline is no longer six and six. The baseline mm-hmm. is is that eight and four level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So you got your four non conference. You, you should win two of them, and maybe three if Notre Dame's not in there. And I know we haven't gone undefeated in non conference play since literally forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, especially now with the new ACC scheduling model, you know, you have, you know, we'll have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Syracuse and BC every year. We're no longer even playing Virginia Tech. Right. And then, um, you know, the uh, typical, like, you know, I already said BC and Syracuse, uh, the Wake Forest of the world. And, you know, it's, there's, there's eight wins on the schedule, easy, not just next, not for 2024, but every year. Uh, if you're playing in the ACC and you you're able to recruit at a level that Pitt has been able to recruit under Narduzzi this past season, I described before the season started, I described it as a, as far as roster level and talent, uh, they were a 10 and two roster with an eight and four schedule. So I split the difference and said, I, I think we're doing nine and three, but if they go eight and four, wouldn't surprise me. And eight and four is where a program like Pitt should be. Yep. So I think that's the bar and it's the bar slash goal every year for a program like Pitt. And if you have good quarterback play and you get a little luck, you know, you have a nine and a solid nine and three campaign. And then every few years, every five years, you have the special 10 and two kind of thing, uh, which is what happened two years ago. So again, one more shot, but I still think Narduzzi can pull it off and get back to where the program has been under him for eight of nine years. Yeah. I'm in agreement. I, he he deserves one shot, and I think there's a decent chance, like if he hires, say, a Mike Shanahan, a, a decent offensive coordinator, that they could get back to seven and five next year. And then looking ahead to 2025, you bring some of that momentum in, and then that next year you get eight or nine wins. And like this can be a program that generally teeters right around eight and four, and then every now and again can have a breakout year. I don't think he's necessarily past his peak. He could be. But and a lot will depend on this next OC hire. But I don't think it's oh he's got to go. Like I think there's a there's an actual chance that what with what he's been able to show on defense with the talent level that they have around the team that with a good offensive coordinator they can turn this around because this as you said this was not a three and nine team in terms of talent. I was looking when, after you mentioned that Chris like I was looking at other three and nine teams this year now that the season is is wrapping up. Virginia finished with a three and nine record. That's a team completely rebuilding, starting from scratch. They had a horrible tragedy last year. Like that's a three and nine team. Cincinnati's a three and nine team, a team that just that lost their coach and then just moved up from the American athletic conference into the big 12. And they're playing against Texas and Oklahoma's of the world. That's a three and nine team like Arizona state, you know, these teams that completely bottom out when they lose their head coach, they lose their star players. Everyone transfers out. Those are three and nine teams. Pitt should not have been a three and nine team. And the fact that they were says a lot about this coaching. It was a horrific year for coaching. There's no doubt about it, but I think that they can turn this around. Maybe I'm being optimistic and I'm not saying they're going to, but I I think there's a, a realistic chance that yeah, next year, if they can, they could get to seven and five, even six and six would be like right on that edge. I think that would be, everyone would be like, I don't know. But like, if you get at least to there, but if you get to seven and five, I think, okay, now things are back on track. Hope, hope springs eternal, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> I read a post, I read a post on Panther Lair a long time ago um, that drew a fantastic analogy about being a pit fan is basically like being a mediocre golfer. You know, you're you're out in the golf course and you're just shanking left and right. You're slicing, you're hooking, you're just playing. But then once every nine holes or once every 18 holes, you will have that 
you know, like fantastic birdie putt or a great chip in or something like that. That's like, oh, okay, I can get the hang of this. I'm going to come back next week. There's <laughs> something about being a pit fan that you they just keep you in. Um, and I think it's just this like level of, oh man, they could they can really do some special things if they just stop with these screw ups, these weird decisions, these coaching hires. Like it, you know. So um, I don't know. I guess it's the the beauty and uh, the frustrating part of being a pit fan all rolled into one. So <laughs> what before we go? What's gonna before we sort of put a bow on this season? What's gonna what are you gonna take? with you from this season like what's going to be the thing that you remember are there positives i mean look again you mentioned uh the resilience of of your marriage of your relationship like are there positives to take out of uh of this season is there something hilariously bad that you're really going to remember from this season like when you look back what are the, the like the one or two things that that you're going to remember from this 2023 football season i have a personal one so I, Jake Cradle, our center, was my student when I taught in a daycare when he was like wow. 10 years old. Um, and then I knew him throughout um, school. I taught, um, I didn't have him in class, but I had his sister and I just always visited his class. I always saw because I was friends with his English teacher. Um, and so I was really proud to see him suit up every every game that he was able to and and just watch him him grow and play where they needed him and um so that was a highlight for me was to be able to see a kid and root for a kid that I personally adore um and see him I mean it was tough to watch this season it was tough to watch him um on this team but I was really proud of him so that's that's, that's really my cool. highlight and that's what I'll remember about this season as a little silver silver lining that's cool Corey. it's funny how you mentioned about the resilience of our marriage one of the best stories um uh between us since you know we've been together but since since we've been pit fans um the home opener with delaware in 2014 i don't know if you recall that it was an easy way it was like a but it was you know it was our our responsibility to supply the beer for the tailgate that day we lived in cranberry township at the time and Tracy woke up for whatever reason, just with hives. Like she was, her I skin. was taking like a, a new medication and right. I just was having an awful, I was just a giant hive. Her skin was all broken out. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, honey, I'm going to take you to, to the doc, to the ER. Um, and then I'll go to the game. And we didn't think about it at the time, but I, I was, I took her to the hospital up at Passivant and Cranberry and I dropped her. But before you dropped, but before I took her to the ER, we had to stop and get two 30 packs of Miller Lite. We so at this we, we got beer on the way to the ER. And I, again, didn't think it didn't occur to me at the time. And then <laughs> she, she opens the door to go into the ER and I'm ready to just like head down to the North shore and tailgate. We looked at each other like, am I really doing this? Am I just dumping off at the, at the hospital and I'm going to tailgate for the next four hours? I wasn't about to let him miss the game. It's like, you need to right. get like, there's no reason I'm an adult. I'll, I'll be all right. I'm having a major allergic reaction. I'm fine. It's, it's okay. Go. And then we like opened the door and looked at each other. Like this is weird. So, yeah. I felt like a real normal. jackass at the time. Yeah. So, so amongst our tailgate group, it's become just basically a, a way of them uh, poking fun of me for the last nine years. But, um, but we're still here. That's, so that's, that's the our, point. That's our dedication uh, right. too. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, I will remember this as um, being first, unfortunately Narduzzi's worst performance, um, which was, uh, surprising to say this because he followed it up with, I think, his best performance. Uh, there's an argument to be made the 2022 season was Narduzzi's best job, not the 21 season, but 20, you know, where you lose your Heisman finalist quarterback and your Boletnikov winner, and you lose some other guys on defense, and you still, and you then you go, you start four and four, but the players, you know, they don't give up on you, they still commit to everything, and you rattle off five wins in a row. Uh, wins in a row. Uh, you have a great win in the bowl game against a ranked UCLA team with a depleted roster, and you finish ranked. Um, I think that was Narduzzi's best job, and he follows it up with this year, which is by far his worst. So, um, my takeaway is I hope this is Narduzzi's um, learning experience and him kind of changing the way a little bit how he does things. 
And I don't want him to change all that much, uh, if I'm being completely honest, because I, I think he's otherwise a very solid fit for this program in this city. I say all the time on Twitter, Narduzzi's a jackass, but he's our jackass. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, he's always said this like petty, like chip on his shoulder. And like, you know, when you're winning, uh, that's really great because Pitt's been a punching bag for so long. You kind of want your coach to be to kind of punch back a little bit. Um, but if you don't, if it doesn't work, then you wear out your welcome uh, pretty quick. So uh, that's what I'm hopeful for anyway, that he can kind of right the ship. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm I kind of view it the same way. That was, that was a, a, a great story with the, the the beer and the tailgate that no, that's great. Um, Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like, yeah, you're going to look at you're going to remember certain things. You're going to remember like the 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 horrible losses to Cincinnati and West Virginia, the winnable games. You're going to remember uh, the, you know, getting stomped by a team like Virginia Tech. You're going to remember the, you know, pit the, the super weapon, like beating Louisville in that in that first game after the bye week. You're going to remember the the comeback against uh, Wake Forest only to then let the the defense, uh, you know, have the defense collapse and then Wake Forest to drive down the field and then. Christian Veyer starting his slide too early in the controversial call. You're going to remember all the turnovers against Syracuse. You're going to remember like Nate Yarnell's first. Like there are a lot of things that go into the season. Ultimately, I hope it's rock bottom for Narduzzi. There's nowhere to go but up. He uses this. He changes some things, particularly on the offensive end, and they get back to what they were really the last two seasons, both the ACC championship year for what the peak kind of looks like. And then the eight, eight and four, nine and four season that they had the next year is sort of a, this is like a good team. It doesn't have to be great, but this is a good team. So we'll see. A lot is going to change. Uh, before we go, we got some news in 2027. Uh, Pitt is headed to Ireland. Um, what are the, what are the chances that, uh, that, that we tailgate there with some 30 packs of Guinness? <laughs> uh non-zero chance um we try to do one uh road trip a year uh sometimes we can't do it for one reason or another i mean i i unfortunately was in south bend this year um (laughs) so so hopefully if if we decide to make the trek to uh uh to dublin in four years uh that'll go uh, a little bit better but i'm always up for overseas trips so um yeah, for now, uh, like I said, non-zero chance. It'll depend on our kids' sports and activities schedule at that point. I was going to say, you do have a human child to, to yeah. take care of. Yeah. Well, he may be older. He'll be old enough at the time where we can actually like bring him along. So now he's, you know, I don't think we can bring him to football games yet. His attention span some, sometimes kind of wanders. Um, although he did muscle it out at the uh, volleyball match against Louisville a week and a half ago, which was a blast. I mean, yeah. he was getting a little restless, but it, you know, he stuck with it the whole way. So, um, so I, I think he's close to being able to sit in one spot for six or seven hours. Yeah. It's wild that we're talking about schedule and this in, in the scheduling realm, this isn't even that far in advance. Like normally it's something like 15 yeah. years out, but it's wild. You can talk about that and be like, Oh yeah, but then, you know, he'll be old enough or we'll be here. Like it's wild. Um, but yeah, it's well, hopefully, hopefully we make it there. Hopefully uh, the, the team bounces back and come 2027, they can go into Ireland and get a big win against Wisconsin and then go on and like run the table and, and make it to that 12 team playoff and, and have a it's great a shame. Paul Christen, it's a shame. Paul Chris ain't going to be around now. So. That would have been really fun. I, they got to like fly him out there to do a big coin toss or something like that. They got to have Paul Chris in Ireland for that. That would be uh that would be neat. Is the word. <laughs> that's that's a great word to end it on is neat um uh tracy and chris thank you so much for for joining me in this one uh please tell the people um where they can find you follow you interact with you you know all that good stuff or if you don't want them to find you or follow you <laughs> you first okay i am at a trace of cool on twitter and instagram and i am at Thunder Pit Road, Thunder P-I-T-T Road, uh, to mirror both my Pit fandom and Springsteen obsession. Uh, that's my informal account. I have another formal account, which I absolutely am not sharing. Uh, <laughs> on this. Uh, uh, Tracy's account is much more, um, has much better content. Uh, it's much more compelling. Oh, so, Thanks. But, uh, <laughs> no, she's right. But um, yeah, give us a follow. Uh, we're always, and by the way, like on Twitter, 
Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it now, is generally a hellscape, but like meeting people like you, Corey, and we've built some like great friendships with people that we met, and I'm using met in quotations, I don't know who's who can watch this or not, but um, who we met on Twitter first. Right. Um, so I make no regrets for sticking it out on Twitter, uh, you know, through everything, but, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you thinking of us. I mean, you know, you've had, um, actual, you know, reporters and journalists and people who cover pit for a living who have sources and things to say, uh, <laughs> whereas we're just two randos on Twitter. So, uh, I, I appreciate, uh, appreciate the time and the invite. <clears throat> well, it's, it's been so much fun, you know, quote unquote, meeting both of you through that and the, the community of, of pit Twitter and pit fandom that's really been developed and as much of a hellscape as it is. And it is, um, we certainly appreciate that aspect of it, of, of, uh, people that follow pit and care about pit being able to, to come together and meet each other and, uh, and you know, and then some, some, uh, some cool interactions and friendships and stuff like that to come with it. So, uh, I'm grateful for both of you, uh, coming on Chris and Tracy. Um, for me, you can follow me at, on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen. You can also follow pit talk network on Twitter and wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, uh, subscribe, follow wherever you get podcasts, uh, just search for pit talk network and, uh, and, and follow subscribe and you'll get all the podcasts coming out. We're going to have an episode coming out soon talking about pit volleyball, uh, Olympic gold and blue, uh, with myself and James Santelli. We've got other episodes. We're going to be talking pit basketball. So make sure you subscribe to pit talk network. And uh, yeah, we will be back at some point with football unscripted talking about perhaps an offensive coordinator chains. Um, but we don't know if slash when that'll happen. So we'll be back at some point. Make sure you subscribe to pit talk network. Whenever it does happen, uh, we'll have a new episode for you until next time. Uh, they are uh, Chris and Tracy. I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.